Hi, I'm Jan. And I'm Lynn. Welcome to the Lamplighters podcast. Lamplighters is a community that encourages women to grow in our faith through the study of God's Word. We are grateful to be on the journey with you this year as we travel through The God Who Sees, a study on women of the Bible. Last week, we studied two important women who shaped Moses, Jochebed and Miriam. Uh, This week, our friend Meredith Weatherby is back, and she is going to talk to us about I would say a very unexpected heroine of the faith. Yeah, that's so a, welcome, Meredith. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Yeah, that's a way a good way to put it, Lynn. Um, thank you both for having me. I'm really grateful to be here, and I do. I definitely want to get to our study this week, but I first I, I want to ask you all a question. Okay, actually, it's two questions. Mm-hmm. So first is one: Are you a creature of habit? Do you have habits that you can think of you've developed over time that work for you or or don't work for you? Mm-hmm. I will say I, I've always thought of myself not as a creature of habit, as a real sort of go with the flow kind of person. But when I stop and look at it, I have a couple of things. Like in the morning, I start every morning with a hot cup of cinnamon tea, oh, yum. Um, which is just a way that I start my morning. And, you know, they're little housekeeping things like every Friday I change the sheets, you know, that kind of thing. Wow. That's <laughs> so that's a, a habit. Yeah. <laughs> I was trying to think of good habits in my life, and the only thing I came up with was brushing my teeth. <laughs> that's, that's a good one. That's, that's a good, good one. Habit. That's a good one. Okay. And another habit, interestingly enough, is making brownies when it rains. So I haven't done too much of that in Central Texas oh, recently. No Yum, actually. Yum. But it's good because it's comfort food, and it's not so good because of all the calories. That, so we that's have, an yes, either or yeah, one. I get it. Okay, yeah. okay. Second one is, are there any sacred spaces in your life, like a, a special room or a chair? Or a place, like a retreat center, a ranch, a building, a church, any, any sacred spaces in your life? Well, a special immediate uh, sacred space for me is the chair in the living room where I have my quiet time every morning. Okay, that's another good habit, right? Mm-hmm. And is. I'll yes. confess, almost every morning, yes, right? Yes, good. <laughs> but since God created everything, all spaces are sacred. And mm-hmm. so the outdoors is a sacred space for me, especially if it involves mountains and running water. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If we're talking about a place in my house, it would be my screened porch. It's, you know, I, love, I don't have to worry I about mosquitoes. Yeah, it's a oh, great yeah. <laughs> porch. It's a great porch. And it's just, it's very peaceful out there. Um, but mostly I would say nature mm-hmm. and even mm-hmm. more specifically the beach. The ocean is, yeah. my, is my place 100% of the time. Oh, I love it. I love it. Me too. Okay, be fair. I'm going to answer the questions too. I'm going to, I'll start with question two though first. Um, Sacred spaces for me, there are a few, just like you guys have talked about. And as I was listing them and I was I was kind of thinking the answer to this question, I, I started to notice almost all of them are outside, like mm-hmm. you said. <laughs> There's one for me, though. It's down at the coast. So for many years, my husband and I, we, we rent a place down, um, it's a home, down mm-hmm. on the canals at North Padre Island. It's across the causeway from Corpus Christi, right near Snoopy's, if you all know where that is. Um, so we go and we live down there like, mm-hmm. for two weeks. Um, we often work for at least part of each week. We just we just kind of live down there. And over the years, it's changed. Who's down there with us? Mm-hmm. It used to be when our kids are a little bitty, they came with us. Now their kids, my kids are driving. They have so many things going on. Mm-hmm. They'll come and go. Um, <clears throat> but there's one thing that hasn't changed for me, and that is that how much living down there, it draws me outside. Mm-hmm. I get up early and I go walking on the beach. I'm often to see the sunrise. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, there's no yard around the house, so I have to take the dog on several walks during the day. Um, my husband and I will go kayaking together on the canals. There's a lot of outside space that just really um, is sacred for me. But there's also this one spot on the back deck 
It overlooks the water of the canals, and there's an old plastic table and some chairs. Mm. And every day, almost every day, Jan, I sit out there with my coffee, and I do my quiet time. I read my devotional and my Bible. I pray, and I often write in my journal. It's a sacred space for me. It's been that way for many years. Mm-hmm. So my husband and I were down there this summer, and we definitely had kids and friends coming and going. But at the very end of our time there, it was just the two of us. And we were talking about this. We were talking about the way we live down there at the coast. And my husband, who, if you know him, he's very quiet, mm-hmm. but he's very wise. He's honest and deep thinking, and he asks the wisest questions. Um, they often stump me. He, he said, okay, do you think there's a way that we could make our life back home more like the rhythm of our lives here? Mm. Or do you think we need this, the water? Do we need mm. this space? Mm. Um, um, Hmm. Boy, that was a question I couldn't answer right away. And also a question we can't do much about. We have two kids in college right now. Right. It's not like we can buy a place on the water. Mm-hmm. But as I thought about it, there that's was a great question. Yeah, it was a great, it was a great question. There was one thing I could change coming back home. I have a I do do a quiet time every day, like you said, Janet. Mm-hmm. And I um and I sit at this one spot I have for a long time. And it's it's in our living room where there's the TV and mm-hmm. um, the kitchen is right there. A, it's a bustling place. Well, um, I thought about our front room, which is a, we call it the guitar room. It has guitars in it. It has the <laughs> piano and stuff. Well, I thought about that room and how a, it also has the dining room at one end. And so mm-hmm. it's sort of a multifunctional room. There's no TV in it, though. And I thought about a year ago, this space transformed for me because a friend of mine came to visit and she had just started a business. It's the cutest name. It's called Shuffle Designs. Mm -hmm. What she does is she takes the stuff in your house and she shuffles it around to design it. Mm -hmm. Well, she was visiting and she decided, you know what? I just started. Let's do this in this room. And she and I did this Mm -hmm. a year ago. She transformed this whole space such that now this space, there's something about the energy of that space that feels different mm-hmm. now. I don't, mm-hmm. I can't explain it, but walking into that room, I just feel cozy. I feel, I, I it feels sacred to me. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I thought of it, I thought, I am going to change where I do my quiet time every day because there's no TV in that room. And so I've, I did, after mm-hmm. we got back from the coast, I changed and I moved spots where I would do my quiet time. And I started in this one spot in that room. And it did start to transform my days and my rhythms because I didn't then just automatically turn on the news. Mm-hmm. You know, uh-huh. it, it changed the rhythm, just changing that spot. Okay. That's exciting. Yeah, it was really exciting. <laughs> it was cool. I, I, I love your stories always, Meredith, because you are able to see spiritual applications in, in daily things, just like refreshing that room. Yeah. I love that. And I really resonate with your husband's deep question about importing the rhythms of the coast into your daily life here in Austin. Uh, I think we all need to do that. Uh, but you're not off the hook. Like, what about question one? In fact, what was question one? <laughs> Wait, okay. Wait, question one was the habits, right? Are you a creature of yeah. habit? Yes. Okay, I'll be quick. I do have a lot of habits as I thought about it. I am a creature of habit. I, I actually think we all are. But um, one of my habits that developed when I started doing these podcasts and talks, the lectures that we've done, I have a routine. I, 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 what I do as I prepare for these is the first thing I do, I sit down and I pray and I do my lesson, just like it was any other week. I do my lesson. I just let God speak to me and the Holy Spirit speak to me about what I see. Then after that, I want to be prepared. So I go to the church library and I check out a couple of books or commentaries. And, and, then I, and then I go to this one restaurant in town. I always do. I get some food, I sit outside, and I read and I take notes in a little notebook for hours. I love it. I love it. Okay, this year, as I'm doing this, y'all, um, 
it was like 107 degrees outside. <laughs> oh my gosh. So I did that. I went and I and I checked the books out. I got some food. I went and sat outside. I made it like 30 minutes. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm impressed. impressed. Yeah, I'm impressed. I was dying. I was dying. I was like, oh my gosh, I can't do this. Well, little did I know, I also was getting sick yeah, okay. at oh. the same time. And so it was like doubly bad that I was trying to be out there. So I came home and was like, okay, I'll just try again tomorrow. And then the next day I woke up and I felt terrible. And I have been sick for weeks, Mm -hmm. for weeks. Mm -hmm. So this whole habit that I had to prepare for these podcasts, it all broke down. Mm. Um, Okay, we're going to come back to that. Okay. Because we've already been talking for a few minutes and we haven't even (laughs) talked about what we're going to talk about today. I'm sure you're thinking, um, okay, that was really fun to talk about our lives and our habits and our sacred spaces, but what in the world does this have to do with today? Meredith, Mm -hmm. I love the rabbit trails you go down because they always end up in the right place. Good. Well, hang with me because I promise I'm going somewhere with all of this and I'll I'll get back to it at the end and there'll be another rabbit trail, but just hang on. But for now, I do think, yes, we should turn our attention to the scripture to, for today, which today we're entirely in Joshua for our lesson, uh, chapters 2 and chapter 6. Um, we start right in Joshua 2. Then Joshua, son of Nun or Noon, I don't know how you say that, do you? No, know? no, I have no idea. Okay, he secretly sent two spies, go over to the land, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. Okay, so the first thing I thought as I read that— I, I, Pulled out my study and read it. I was like, wait, who is Joshua again? I don't. And who is Rahab? Have we ever seen her before? I I literally, I couldn't remember. So I feel like in order to understand today's lesson, we need to do what you guys often do and Mm -hmm. give us some context, Mm -hmm. maybe go back. Um, and put ourselves in the timeline to figure out where we are. Absolutely. You know how I love context. Yes, me too. I do. I love it. So right ahead. Okay. So last week, if you remember, we studied I'm not going to say her name right, Jochebed, Jochebed mm-hmm. and Miriam. Mm-hmm. This is Moses' mom and his sister. They're really important women in his life. We read about what they did to protect baby Moses as, and save his life from that evil Pharaoh. And, mm-hmm. and, and we see snippets of Moses' life in the context of his sister Miriam after that. But today, we have really fast-forwarded. Okay, Moses has died. Joshua, son of Nun, mm-hmm. has taken his place as leader of the people. But what happened to Moses? Who is Joshua? <laughs> Well, the answers to both of these questions, they, and they actually really relate to our story today. So I want to back up. And Numbers 13, it's actually right after what we studied last week, Numbers 12, mm-hmm. the story with Miriam and the leprosy. And um, there's a story in Numbers 13 where God says to Moses, I want you to send, he says it in 13.1, send men to spy out the land of Canaan. And I'm going to emphasize this, which I am giving to the Israelites. Mm-hmm. That's what God says to him. So Moses does it. He sends 12, one from each tribe. Then the spies go over there and they report back to Moses and Aaron. And it says all the congregation after 40 days. And here's what they say. Oh yeah, the land is great for sure. It's flowing with milk and honey. It is the land that God said he's going to give us for sure. But uh, the people that live there, they're really strong. Their cities are fortified. Um, Basically, they said the people are giants and we seem like about as big as grasshoppers compared Mm. to them. That's what they say. So this, of course, all the congregation is there hearing us. It terrifies everyone. Mm-hmm. They're not so sure about going to this promised land thing. And the spies, most of them, say, yeah, you know, you're right, guys. We, we can't go against these people. They're way stronger than us. But there are two spies that, that stand out in this story in Numbers 13 and 14. They don't subscribe to this st- terror at all. There's Caleb and there's Joshua. He's, he's named something else in the time, Hosea, but he says, Joshua, son of Nun. We know it's him. And you read in Numbers 14 that they, when they hear the people saying all this stuff, like, oh, we're not going to go. They literally rebel against Moses. We're not doing this. Mm-hmm. 
um, they tear their clothes when they hear all this hysteria. Mm-hmm. And they have this impassioned speech. And it kind of ends, or there's a part in Numbers 14, 8, where they say, if the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us into this land. And you know what they say? And give it to us. Mm-hmm. God that's, just said it to that's Moses. Right. That's what he said. Yeah. Well, you know, it's it's so easy to be drawn into crowd hysteria. Oh, yeah. I think. Um, it can almost feel like it's contagious. It just spreads like wildfire. But these two clearly were not distracted by that. They were speaking from their deep faith, what God had told them, and they actually believed, um, not out of fear or hysteria yeah. or panic. So it was them listening to their hearts, wasn't it? Instead yeah. of the commotion that was going on around Yeah, them. and hang on to that because we yeah. see it again in our story today, but not from who you expect. <laughs> yeah, and, and the people at that time, they will hear none of it. Yeah. They threatened to stone Caleb and Joshua just for even saying it. They flat out rebel against this plan of God's. And because of it, Moses and all of the rest of the spies, God says it, they, that bring this unfavorable report, except Caleb and Joshua. Mm-hmm. God says they'll never get to, get to step foot in the promised land. Mm-hmm. And so that's where we are today. Moses lived the rest of his life not getting to the promised land. He was in the wilderness leading God's people. Um, he Didn't never wandered around for like 40 years. It was 40 years. Yeah, yeah, it was 40 years. They just wandered around. And when he dies, that's when we pick up this story. Joshua 1, really, you see that God appoints Joshua as the leader of his people. And he tells him, okay, now cross over the Jordan. And he says it again in Joshua 1, 2. Mm-hmm. He says, go take the land that I have given you. <laughs> I have given you. I have given you. He says it over and over. Up to now, they haven't believed it. Yeah. There's something different here in Joshua, and that's where we pick up. And I love that our story today, there's this juxtaposition between that whole spy story in Numbers 13 and 14 Mm -hmm. and the spy story now in Joshua 2. Because it says, Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies. Go over to the land. He says, go look over the land, especially Jericho. It's really nonchalant. He sends two of them instead of 12. It's not this big entourage. I can't even imagine sending 12 guys to try to spy. (laughs) He sends two of them, right? And he says, oh, just go look over the land. Maybe he's trying to, he remembers this huge deal in hysteria. He, maybe he's trying to prevent that this time. Maybe he's just like, guys, just go look over the land. He doesn't make a big deal out of it necessarily. Well, he also sent them secretly so the people didn't know. Exactly. Exactly. There's no big hoopla this time. And he sends them to Jericho. A little bit, why Jericho? They, it's called the gateway to Canaan. It's, it's, um. It's maybe, probably, often they think it's the world oldest city, maybe. Hmm. It was um, hmm. it's, was built like nearly 6,000 years before this whole thing with Moses and Miriam. And, wow. Um, and um, it's only 17 miles northeast of Jerusalem, but it was hugely fortified, y'all. It had a big wall around it. Actually, they think, archaeologists have seen, they think it had two walls around it. Wow. So it had a big wall around it, then a retaining wall around it, and and that'll come into our story today, too, but— it it was an important place. If they could take Jericho, it was going to really mm-hmm. send a signal to a lot of people. Yeah. It was a it was from the outside all of the things that those spies that, that Moses sent said. It was huge, big, hard to take down. So he secretly sent them over there. Yeah, just go look over Jericho. And so then it says, so they went and they entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab, and they stayed there. <laughs> like it sounds so simple. So simple. And I was like, what? Wait, who, who is Rahab? We've never seen her before. Right. Okay. In the Bible. Um, and we're not told why in the world do they go to Rahab? Why do the spies go mm-hmm. to her house? Right. I look back to see, maybe Joshua told them, no, we, we don't know. We don't know why. But I kind of like to think that it was God's leading and mm-hmm. divine plan along. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't, 
I'll tell you, it was brilliant for mm-hmm. many reasons. So, so who was Rahab? Let's, let's talk about her. Mm-hmm. Well, she was a prostitute. That should be clear. The first time when she's mentioned in the Bible is right here. And it says, they went to the prostitute Rahab's house. And oh, she's actually mentioned eight times from here on out in the Bible. And the majority of the times, this qualifier, Rahab the prostitute, the <laughs> prostitute Rahab, is that's how she's mentioned. It's with her name. One time she's, Joshua even says, he just calls it, go to the prostitute's house. And her name's not even in it. it there's a, the, the, she is qualified with this. Yeah. There's a lot discussed in commentaries about her profession. They try to smooth over it a bit. Uh, I really don't see evidence for that. I, I don't. I actually love what one commentary said. They said, there have been attempts to soften her profession, to say that one verse calls her an innkeeper. (laughs) The Bible, however, makes no attempt to smooth over the unpleasant fact that Rahab has been a prostitute. Yeah. We've seen that before. The Bible doesn't pull punches. Nope, it does not. And we've seen it before. Well, we've seen, well, why was she a prostitute? Let's try to figure this out. It's, it's, we have to put it in context a little bit because things were different back then. That was something that women would do. We don't know. We They think that she was probably a common prostitute. There were temple prostitutes. There were other like ways that women were profession as prostitutes. Mm-hmm. But they think she was probably the victim of some sort of economic system that yeah. existed back then in which women had no opportunities to earn a living, none except slavery and prostitution. Those were their only options. And mm. We don't know why. She had a mom and a dad and a family. We, we learn about that. So if she didn't have a husband, why wasn't she living with them? We know she is fiercely loyal to her family. Mm-hmm. Maybe she was doing this somehow to take care of them. We don't know. We, yeah. we don't know. We just know that this was her profession. Well, clearly she was a good business person. Clearly, you yes. They, she had a successful she, business. She did. And all of the things in her house, the flax on the roof, all of those mm-hmm. things actually point to that. To point, mm-hmm. Some people even compare her to the Proverbs 31 woman, the one oh, that wow. comes in and, and, wow. and, you know, considers a field and buys it and all of those things. She was very industrious. That mm-hmm. is very clear. And we see that throughout this. But, but there's a lot we don't know about why she is where she is in her mm-hmm. station. But what we do know is that God has chosen her. We know that. He uses her in this story to carry out his plan and salvation for his people. And that's just like God. Like Mm -hmm. you said, Jan, throughout Mm -hmm. the Bible, we see him choose the most unseemly or unlikely people. When We don't know. When God chooses David to be his king, Samuel goes and he's like, I don't, who, what? He's the runt. He's the runt. And in (laughs) 1 Samuel 16, it says, the Lord sees not as man sees. Mm -hmm. He looks, man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Mm -hmm. So there was something about Rahab that God knew he could use her. Mm -hmm. And also... The profession she had was key in Mm. this story. God used it. It's amazing to me. He used this profession that we could see as maybe unseemly, and he used it to his glory and his advantage. So why? Okay, first it tells us um, her profession. It tells us why the spies could come see her without being noticed. Yeah, because men were in and out all day long. Also, yes, that's true. But also, her house wouldn't be in the center of the city. Uh It would not be in the center of the city. She was not a prominent member of this society. She would actually, her house, and they think that her house was not even inside the inner wall, that big fortified wall. They think her house was on the outer wall, kind of the retaining wall that was outside of that. And they talk about that. We use it. Her house was built between the two walls of the city, kind of on the outside wall. Mm-hmm. She was really on the outside. They could slip in there pretty easily. They don't have to walk through the middle of the city to go right. see her. Um, so that's one. 
Second, it tells us how the spies, like you said, could come see her without any suspicion. Right. Right? Because of her job, probably there were unfamiliar people coming in and out of there yeah. all of the time. And so they would not rouse any suspicion. These two strangers mm-hmm. coming into her house would not rouse any suspicion. But third, her profession, it also gives her story credibility because eventually word does get back to the important people mm-hmm. inside the city that spies are there. So they come to her house, and when she lies to the king's men, she says, true, the men came to me, but I did not know where they came from. That's actually may not even a lie. Maybe at first she didn't know where right. they came from. Mm-hmm. But she implies here that she was not concerned about their business in the city, or she was just concerned about their business with her. Right. She has a completely plausible story for sending those spies on. Oh, maybe you can catch them. That's when she started to yeah. lie. <laughs> but, <laughs> quickly. Yeah, yeah. But, but <clears throat> she had this plausible story that protected her and mm-hmm. protected um, God's men, these two spies that came. Fourth, because of her profession, she was an outcast. Mm-hmm. And this, I think it tells us a little bit about maybe her lack of loyalty to her city. Um, in the sense that she was not a prominent member of the society. Like I said, she saw all of the women and men who might lower their eyes or whisper about her as she walked past. Mm. I think we've all felt this way. I know it at some point in our lives where we felt alone or maybe ashamed or mm-hmm. misunderstood, where we didn't feel like we had a lot of very friend, Mary Finney friends in the world. Yeah. I think she had maybe her family that mm-hmm. she was fiercely loyal to and maybe not the rest of the city. And um I think it just tells you a little bit about her heart, um, that she was was ready to hear from someone who would save her. Yeah. Um, okay, but most importantly, I think, about her profession, I think it could give us an, a glimpse, not just the fact that she wasn't loyal to the city, but it could give us a little bit of a glimpse as to why she would be willing to risk her life for these two guys. She had nothing to lose. She did have nothing to lose, but she also... Because of her profession, she probably had some insider knowledge. Oh, yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah, where else do you go sure. to collect gossip? Uh-huh. No, yeah. kidding. You know. But also, she probably was entertaining um, travelers, mm-hmm. strangers, sure. foreigners all day long, or at least a lot, who would know about a swarm of people. Hey, there's a big group of people <laughs> camped right across uh, the Jordan. Yeah. Right? She would know that. And she would also know from within the city how terrified everybody was of those people. Yeah. But she knew something else too. And this is what's remarkable to me. And I, it, somehow she knew what the Israelites didn't know 40 years ago. She knew that God was going to give Jericho to these, to these Israelites, to these people. Yeah. And she knew that the whole city felt dread and fear because of them. I, I love this about her because it's so remarkable. One of the commentaries says, of all of the characters in Joshua 2, Rahab is the one who is most keenly aware of the Lord's sovereignty. Mm-hmm. She's the one who confesses that knowledge. When she goes up to, on the roof and she's like, guys, I know that God's yeah. given you this city. It's remarkable. She is a foreign woman, a prostitute, attesting to the power and identity of the Lord when all of those Israelites 40 years ago couldn't do it. Yeah. Amazing. And this is where the story is so different from the story of the spies in Hebrews 13 and 14. The land of Canaan looked one way on the outside to those spies, but on the inside, it was the exact opposite. Mm. The Canaanites were terrified of them, not vice uh, versa. Right. And, but 
the spies know. learned of this because she told them. Yeah. So then they had this courage. At the beginning of Joshua 1, he says, or it's in Joshua 1, he says, take courage, be strong and courageous. He's trying to rally the people up to go do this. Yeah. Well, this is what they needed. Instead of going and looking at how fortified, they got some inside knowledge. Yeah. They knew that Jericho was terrified of them. And they knew that God had given them the city because this foreign woman who doesn't even worship God told them, mm-hmm. I know that God has given you this city. I know it. And mm-hmm. she makes this deal with them. Before they leave her, they promise to save her. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, they say, it's so funny, they say, our lives for your life. And they knew they were stuck up there on that roof, <laughs> right. right? And the, spy, the king's men had just come mm-hmm. to her house. They needed her help to escape. Yeah. They couldn't just climb down and run out. They were stuck. And so she was really smart. She has them promise to spare her life yeah. because she knows that God is going to give them the city. And she is, she's so savvy here. I love it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the lives of her family. And the lives of her family. She was a good family. negotiator. She was. And yep. she, then she, she knew, and she lived right on the outside. So all mm-hmm. she had to do yeah. is she just had to, she just had to lower them out her window mm-hmm. and say, and tell them exactly where to go. She did. She did everything. Yeah. She is, she knows who God is and she has a plan. It's really beautiful. And they, and they promised to spare her life and she's going to need to tie this red cord. Right. She and, wasn't just smart. She was fearless. Fearless. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She, she was fearless. Do you know why? She was living for an audience of one. Yeah, that's right. She was. Yeah. She knew who God was, and she didn't care what all these other people whispered about her. Mm-hmm. She knew who God was, and she wanted to be with Him. Yeah. That's I love mm-hmm. it. I love yeah. it. Um, so this red cord, mm-hmm. there's a significance to that. Of course, it reminds you of the Passover, the first one where they put the lamb's blood over mm-hmm. the door, and the angel of death would pass over their houses. Yeah. It, it, of course, points forward to Jesus and His blood on the cross that covers us so mm-hmm. that we aren't destroyed because of our sin. It's there's much symbolism in this, and there's a lot about it if you ever wanted to go into mm-hmm. it all. But really what I want to go to today is that Rahab and her faith and her confession of what she knew to be true, it was a gift to those spies. Mm-hmm. It was God's gift yeah. to them. Instead of them going and seeing this terrible city that they could never get through, they knew the true inside story. Mm-hmm. And they went back to Joshua, and they were like, listen— we can go and take possession of this land. God's already given it to us. Yeah. And it was a totally different report than the one that came back yeah. 40 years ago. And they're going to need it. And we read on in this story today, God has a seemingly ridiculous plan. We sing about it and the kids and we <laughs> yeah. all march. And, right. You know, it's dumb. There's no military strategy. There's no troop movement with any recognizable purpose. There's no calculated attack on the city walls. They just march around and we yeah. read all about that. But... Great military tactics. They No, there's none. I know. But they obey God to the letter. They yeah. do. And it, he gives them the city. Which, yeah. by the way, he had been trying to do for years. For years. Yeah, 40 yes. years ago he tried yes, to do that. Exactly. He, and he told them, yep. give me, I'm giving it to you, mm-hmm. but they couldn't hear it. <laughs> but, okay, as I'm studying, and this is where I'm going to take us back to this story, there's something that stuck out to me so much in the story of the fall of Jericho. I feel like I've read it. I've known it all my life. I've sang it in children's choirs songs, but I have no idea what this part never registered for me before. So Joshua 6, 17, it says, the city and all that is in it, all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. I was like, oh, that's cool. When I first read it, I totally read it wrong. I thought, oh, they're all going to be devoted to God, just like Rahab is. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's so cool. No, that's not what God meant by devoted to the Lord or Joshua meant. It was something, he wanted to destroy the whole city. Mm. 
I don't know why I got so shocked when I read that. And then on at the end of our lesson, not only that, Joshua declares later that anyone who tries to rebuild Jericho will be cursed Mm. before the Lord. I Mm. thought, whoa. He's done with it. He's done with it. Yeah. And I started thinking about this. I started thinking about the red cord that was tied around Rahab's window to mark her home as a safe place. And it was. That home was not destroyed. She was brought out with all of her family. Um, I I thought about the fact that the Israelite army, they marched around the city with the Ark of God, Mm -hmm. where God was supposed to dwell. Mm Mm-hmm. So they're walking around the city with the presence of God. Um, And I realized as I was thinking about this, for some reason I was praying and I was thinking about this, There, for reasons I cannot explain or understand, it seems that place is important to God. Mm -hmm. That maybe there are places that God redeems and can dwell in and places that He cannot or He chooses not to. Mm -hmm. This might be be really obvious to you all. For some reason it was eye-opening to me. So, because I'm sitting there, mm-hmm. right? It brings me back to my question at the very beginning when mm-hmm. I had this habit where I would study for my lesson. I would go and I would get the books and I would go to this one restaurant. I would sit outside. I couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. It was too hot. But not only that, I was sick and my system totally broke down. I couldn't go out at all. I was mm-hmm. so tired and I was so sick that I was at home and I was at home and I was at home for weeks. And I felt terrible. Mm-hmm. And every time I went outside, I felt worse. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't worse. I can't, and I'm thinking, so I'm sitting one day and I'm thinking, I'm sitting, uh, why can't I just do my preparation at home? And then I thought, wait, why can't I do my preparation at home? <laughs> I, I was like, is my home one of those places? Yeah. One of those places where God can't or won't dwell? And I did not want that. I got really worried actually, but then I remembered my room. Mm. My room, mm-hmm. that space where I do my quiet time every yeah. day, the room that where that when my friend transformed and shuffled my stuff around, it sort of it changed the energy of that space. So I went and sat in that spot whenever I felt up to it. I would sit in that spot to do the rest of my lesson preparation, my reading, my mm-hmm. notes, my writing. And um, but all the while I'm thinking about place and I'm thinking about my home. And one day I was back in my room and I saw on my dresser these two small red gift bags. Um, I, I literally bought them at the Dollar Tree, y'all, and um, there were three of them. Mm-hmm. And I know I bought them to put a little gift in this girl, one of these seniors that graduated that went off to Arkansas. Mm-hmm. So I got her a little red bag. There were two of them still sitting there. And they each had, you know, red ribbons mm-hmm. tied on the top for the handle. Oh. And uh, so I I took the ribbons off the bag. I'm standing back there in my room. I took the ribbons off the bag. There were four of them. This will tell you a little bit about my my home. It's it's um we've had a lot of us living in there, but it's small. Um, and I tied them to the blinds in all of the other rooms of my house. My bedroom, my son's bedroom, my daughter's, both of them their bedroom, and the and then the living room, the one back there with the TV and mm-hmm. all the bustling space. I tied I tied ribbons all around my house. At one point, my husband saw them. He's like, "What?" Uh? I was like, "Don't <laughs> ask. Just don't ask." It's about my Bible study. He knew not to ask. So, um, my kids. They don't even live there right now. Yeah. I have one that's grown and, and graduated from college, and I have two that are in college right now. And, uh, but as I tied the ribbons on in every room, I started praying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I prayed for that space, for it to be a place that God would dwell. I prayed for the people that I love that have lived there or do live there, that have lived and played there. I prayed that God would go with them, that yeah. He would dwell with them, that He would protect them, that He would be putting a red cord around them. Um, I, those ribbons are still there. It's yeah. been like three weeks. They're still there because every time I see them, they're a reminder to repeat this exercise. I don't even know when I will take them down. Mm-hmm. But 
it has transformed the way I think about space and yeah. place mm-hmm. for me. And that was transformational for me. And it has been in doing this lesson. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know why. God just wanted me to—I just felt like I needed to tell this story because it's been really transformational for me to start to realize that our place, our space, we want God to be with us. We want Him to dwell with us. And, yeah. and that isn't something God takes lightly yeah. at all. It's something yeah. we need to pray about and be really reverent about. Um, so, but well, getting, I think, well, Meredith, yeah. that, what that reminds me of, I think, is when habits can be wonderful things, but yep. they can also be— not so great, right? Because they can get us so focused on doing things one way yeah. that we get stuck, and we're missing all the other ways that we could be doing things. That's you're, what that reminds you're me. You're exactly right. Yeah. That's exactly what yeah. this was for me. I prepared my lesson totally in right. my home this time, right? Which I've never done. That's before. exciting. It was. It was yeah. cool. It yeah. was cool. And what's significant to me about that is once your friend did the rework magic of yeah. your room, you were drawn to that space. I am. You were drawn to that space. You're right. Which And I think God does that. I think He draws us to certain spaces yeah. because it's a thin place between us and God. You're right. But yeah. I am, I almost feel like I'm trying to reclaim my home. I don't even know. I'll yeah. reclaim my home to, to yeah. pray that all of that space will be sacred. It's a thin, yes. thin space. Yes. Yeah. It's important to me, but let, I want to finish today. Yes. And let's okay. come back to Rahab. Oh, well. Because <laughs> something struck me when I was listening to one of the podcasts that came out a few weeks ago about Rebecca. Mm-hmm. Jan in the podcast, it was so cool. You gave us all the backstory and the history <laughs> of Isaac and Rebecca, the prayer that surrounded the entire story of them getting together and mm-hmm. her becoming Isaac's wife. Mm-hmm. And, and oh, something that struck me, you said they started so well. Mm-hmm. How did it go so wrong? How yeah. did it end so badly? And the story today with Rahab shows us just the opposite. Mm-hmm. We don't we don't know her beginnings. We don't know how she came to to this point in her life. We only know the end of her story. And we can only imagine the beginnings weren't the best. No, we yeah. can. Yes, but it doesn't matter mm-hmm. because God can redeem wherever and whenever. Because of her certain faith in God and the deal she struck with these spies, she and her whole family were saved. She was taken out of Jericho, it was burned to the ground, and she clearly never went back. Mm-hmm. And nothing was ever rebuilt there. But it's believed and widely accepted that she was ex- she came into the Jewish, the Israelite people, and it's accepted in their tradition, uh, in their history books, that mm-hmm. Rahab married an Israelite, probably this guy named Sal- Salmon, Salmon, a prince. He was a prince in the house of Judah. They think she became the mother of Boaz, yeah. the man that married Ruth and mm-hmm. had Obed. She, she was in the direct lineage of Jesus. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Amazing. In Hebrews 11, it's it, it very 11.1, it says, Faith is being certain of what we do not see. Mm. That was Rahab. She mm. had never yeah. gone to temple. She had never heard about God, but she was certain. Mm-hmm. And then it goes on in Hebrews 11 to list this cloud of witnesses. Some have described it that way. She's the only woman listed in the whole thing. Mm. And... She's listed there as Rahab the prostitute. Of course she is. She had a beginning that never entirely left her, actually. It never did. But no matter what her beginnings were, she ended well. God doesn't change who we are. He doesn't erase the past. He just redeems it, Mm -hmm. and He uses it for His purposes. Mm -hmm. I, I loved this that I read. It said, other women in Jericho, other women in Jericho saw no beauty or goodness in Rahab that they should desire her company. Mm. But through her faith in God, she became one of God's heroines. Mm. I love it. He transformed mm. her entire life. We know she she came to know who God was, and she trusted that He was her one 
and only way out of certain destruction. And from her acting on that trust and hope, he had transformed her entire life. Really, all of it. And honestly, that's what matters. It's a story of hope for all of us. It really is, Meredith. Thank you for for your stories and your explanations, because I think that you can easily look at this story and think it doesn't apply to anything that we do today, mm-hmm. when that is, couldn't be further from the truth. It's such a valid story for each of us today. It is. Well, so, we are Rahab. That's right. Yes. We are. We're destined for destruction unless we have that scarlet cord yeah. attached to us, mm-hmm. and then we become part of God's people. It's a great story. Mm-hmm. Well, Meredith, do you have any <clears throat> questions that you want to leave us with today? No, I'm, I have t- spoken enough. I would love what, <laughs> what, what, what questions have come to y'all today. Okay. Well, I want to say the thing that stands out to me that sort of keeps coming back to me um, is that once Rahab knew who God was, she never wavered. She, yeah. we, never, we don't see her waver at all. She didn't let who she had been in the past keep her from becoming who God planned for her to be in the future. I think that's easier said than done sometimes. Mm-hmm. So what I would like our listeners to think about is what negative thoughts mm. that you have of yourself that are holding you back from accepting the good gifts that God has offering, mm. planned for you. Yeah. The past can be a great weight, and we do need to be freed from it, mm-hmm. which is what God did with Rahab. Mm. Um What struck me is the contrast between Rahab and the Israelites 40 years before, in that Rahab took what God was offering her, and it was a way out of Jericho. It was a way out of her life as a prostitute. She didn't try to go take that for herself. She knew she couldn't conquer that herself, Mm. and yet she just received the gift that God offered, and as a result, He offered so much mm-hmm. more. Mm-hmm. You know, like you said, she became part of the Israelites. She found a place among that people. She married a man from the tribe of Judah. Mm-hmm. Hopefully it was one of the spies. I like that idea. I do too. <laughs> uh, she got a husband and a family that she thought she would never, ever have. And she continues the line that led to King David and also ultimately to the Messiah. So there was so much more in that gift that God had for her that she never would have received if she hadn't taken the first one. Mm. And, and so I think that made me ponder, and maybe our friends ponder, taking a time or a situation or a relationship in your life <clears throat> that needs to end well, mm-hmm. that needs to end well, and lay it before the Lord and see what He will do, because He wants to give us so much more than we can ask or imagine. Mm-hmm. We worship a redemptive God, and it is never too difficult, and it is never too late for Him. And that is hope. Thank you for being with us today, Meredith. Um, Until next time. 